0: Hey, 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 Mark. This is podcast number three, Um, still on the Ken Burns and the Roosevelts. So, today I'm going to be talking about FDR and Teddy again, Um, just kind of their presidency and how awesome of people they are, really just two studs um, and happen to be related to each other. But we're going to start off with FDR and the beginning of his presidency, and in the beginning of his presidency, within the first week, actually, he um, repealed the. Uh, or not repealed? Excuse me. He in the first week of his presidency, he had to deal with a uh, a banking crisis, and he joined office when. The government wasn't doing too well. They were already in a bit of a depression, um, so coming in as president. While your country's already in a depression and being able to pull it out is quite remarkable but the way he pulled it out or one of the ways he did that is pretty interesting and just awesome because you know every once in a while everyone loves a drink so what he did was repeal the prohibition act which made it legal for people to sell beer uh... that was three point two percent alcohol and You know, a lot of people were upset about this. This was a big issue going forward um, and a big issue before. A lot of people wanted to be able to drink alcohol and still did with speakeasies and just the corruption of bars and saloons, underground um, marketing and distributions. Um, But he repealed it and he made it legal to sell beer, which opens up... Or, I'm sorry, and that act of selling beer with 3.2% alcohol was the Colin Harrison Act. Um, and it started a big deal. As businesses were growing, people were spending more money, and more money was circulating. Um, so as your government and economy gets more money, um, you start to get out of the Depression, and things started looking better and better. So his next, one of his big um, attributes to his presidency was his New Deal agenda um, which was also in the start of the depression and it was ways where you could fix the economy and help better people in their lives Um, and that's really all FDR and Teddy Roosevelt wanted was to help people they were actually on different sides of their political views um, yet still used a lot of the same qualities and a lot of the same tactics to run the country, um, even though they were different parties. Um, one thing that FDR did was the fireside chat. This was a homey feeling. This was a feeling that no president had given anyone before, um, and it all started with radios and TVs, really radios. Um, families would gather in their living room and turn on the radio, and it would be FDR just sitting in uh, his home in the White House um, and just talking um, on the radio and talking to people. And it was a way for uh, the the country to come together and kind of listen to our leader, um, listen to what he has to say, and it was just a way that people um, bonded and families i actually I talked to my grandpa um he's about seventy six and he remembers um getting with his family in his living room and listening to fireside chats, um, which is pretty wild to me as looking at all this history um none of it's that far away, and I'm only twenty one so I haven't seen too much in my lifetime but to go and ask my grandpa or someone older or someone around his age. They just have so much knowledge and experience to be able to talk about this stuff, and it's just wild. Um, It really blows my mind. This is all things that seem kind of, like, kind of whack in a way to me. I know that's a weird word, but it's just it's crazy. With all this technology that I'm just used to, that these... Fireside chats with the president were so effective, as opposed to now going on Twitter and just tweeting something and watching everyone freak out about it. Um, so it's pretty wild and pretty cool, um, but I'm glad I got to talk to my grandpa about it. It seems like a really cool concept. Um, it brought people together, and it was just a, made everyone just feel good. Um... FDR was also nominated with the Congressional Medal of Honor um, which if you get the Medal of Honor it's obviously you 've done something uh, you 've done something good and something to the extent deserving um, so FDR was just an absolute stud he thought he led he uh, was passionate about it he um, really just wanted to help people and Make America um, a place to be and a place for uh, people to come and live out their dream. Um, as was Teddy Roosevelt as well. Like I said, he was a different party. Um, He's also the twenty sixth president. Teddy Roosevelt was, um, and he gave power to the uh, to his own presidency to the president and the government. Um, something that, I think, coming out of the Depression not too long ago before was something good to get your government money, and also, leading into a war, your government needs money. Um, so, it's a good thing that he was there kind of before World War I, and, um, kind of just got everything rolling, um, but Teddy has won a Nobel Peace Prize, um, He actually won this for mediating the uh, Russo-Japanese War in 1904 and 1905, which is pretty wild. Um, Both FDR and Teddy Roosevelt are both so involved um, in wars and such, and I just think it's uh, wild, as in my lifetime I've never seen a president um, be so courageous and be willing to put his life on the line to save... Others and to to fight for his country. Um, It's just not something you see nowadays. We also don't really have wars like we did, but I can say that I could see a president in my lifetime getting up and fighting and just being a man about it. Um, These guys were awesome. Um, Teddy Roosevelt also, I think this is one of the most interesting facts. He was the first person to bring an African-American into the White House to, uh, entertain, and he brought Booker T. Washington into the White House, um, and brought him in, and they dined, and they drank, and just ate dinner and socialized, um, but it's really wild that this time period before, um, I mean, and slavery ends not too long ago, black people are starting to get their rights and such, um, But it's still, it's not uh, equal, and there's still oppression and discrimination, segregation. Um, MLK has not even come close to presenting himself in time yet, Um, and nor has anyone for uh, social equality. But Teddy, um, Teddy invites him in and has a meal with him. I think that is one awesome fact. Um, being the first person to bring an African-American into the White House to socialize and not harass and oppress. Um, And with that comes more. I mean, Teddy and FDR both wanted equality, wanted to help people, and it's just awesome. Um, He also made the Square deal. He, uh, He created a big Navy, And I think this is really interesting, um, getting along with forming um, and giving more power to the president and government. As they get more money, there's more funding and there's more spending on materials like war necessities for war, war necessities, excuse me. But overall, um, he created a Big Navy and... This made America not only just look good, but it it made us powerful and it made us strong. Um, We were a big place. We we had um, nationalism and patriotism at that time. Everyone was kind of together. Um, And after his presidency, that was kind of the last thing in his presidency, Um, but after his presidency, it was really cool instead of just kind of retiring or doing other things and, like, just kind of traveling, or he did travel, excuse me, he took a 10-month African safari and then also toured Europe for a bit. And I just think this is wild. Um, in this time period to go and just be on the land and fend for yourself um, in a completely foreign atmosphere is awesome. Um, they're just... Studs of people, but he uh, in a letter he wrote home, he referred to himself as, he uh, he was as strong as a bull moose. I think this is an interesting quote, as strong as a bull moose. Bulls and mooses, I guess, are both pretty strong, but as strong as a bull moose. I've never heard of a bull moose before, could be a thing. Who knows? But I feel like I'm going to start saying that about myself. I'm as strong as a bull, miss. What do you want? <laughs> um, he also wanted to join World War I. So he came back after his expedition. Um, and he was all for William Taft and what he was trying to do. But at the same time, he wanted war. Um, he felt like he was right, like it was necessary. And this is him just kind of being that dominant um, man that he is, he wanted to fight and he wanted to conquer. Um, he knew he, or he felt like he would be able to, and therefore there was nothing stopping him, nothing wanting him to stop. Um, he wanted to fight, and when America did get involved in World War I, um, his four sons actually went and all fought Pretty tragic how uh, how Quentin uh, his youngest son was actually shot down while flying an airplane. Um, I just I found this pretty remarkable and lucky he had four of his kids all fight and only one of them passed away. Um, I just think that's impressive and a cool fact that um, that his sons were clearly pretty similar to him and FDR, um, as the Roosevelt's have such a strong, um, family name and a strong family atmosphere to him that, uh, that his sons are also kind of like him following his footsteps and shadowing, uh, which I think is cool. Um... Um, he wanted to fight in World War I. They both got ill, um, unfortunately, and both slowed down uh, in, their, in their aspirations to fight and such, which is, I think, a big part of their sons fighting. Um, but all around, these guys did so much for our country— in modeling and reshaping, um, and I think they're, they're overlooked. I didn't know anything about their personal lives and such, and I found this, uh, these documentaries to be very interesting um, and very detailed, which I think is cool. I don't really get into their personal lives often, so I enjoyed this, and I hope you enjoyed listening. This has been sponsored by Old Spice. Gotta smell like a man. Go Falcons. Unfortunately. Yo, yo, yo. Mark, hello. Podcast number three here. The Vietnam War. The Vietnam War started in 1995. Pretty long war. It's about 20 years. And it ended um, in 1975. Um, so the Vietnam War is another civil war, um, and instead of a civil war over slavery, um, this was over the spread of communism. Um, so South Vietnam sided with the US, um, the British, and the French, um, and they did not like communism as uh, the North were communist. Um, and this was uh this was a big deal. After World War II there's a big red scare. Um and people were scared that communism was gonna continue to spread and the ideology of it um was hurtful and um and wrong. Um uh, just not a good way to live, um, personally, I don't think. But the, the um the Vietnam War okay. So, Red Scare, America, okay, so, um, North Vietnam slowly, um, kind of makes these little battles with South Vietnam as they come in to, uh, Saigon and other, uh, territories and countries in, uh, South Vietnam and start, uh, kind of trying to take over, um, and obviously that's not okay, um. Obviously the South Korean, or South Vietnamese, excuse me, um, aren't okay with it, and uh, neither are the Americans as they see another spread of communism, um, which is just exactly what they don't want to see. So this war has a lot of people um, looking in different directions. Many people think we should not have gotten into this war, and a lot of people think we should. Um, I don't really have a say, I guess, at the moment, um, what's right and what's wrong between uh, these wars. I see both sides. Um, The spread of communism was clearly um, terrifying in the 1900s um, for pretty much all of it. But I think the real... Part of it was that that it was another rise of it. Um, after we had just fought a war, everyone had just fought a war, people were devastated, and now this rise again. So I think the second time, people just got more scared and um, kind of overreacted in a way. But either way, North Vietnam was intruding. South Vietnam, therefore JFK, Um, who was president at the time, um, wanted to get involved. He wanted to stop the spread and to help our allies um, in South Vietnam. So JFK sends um, troops over. It sends uh, roughly like a thousand um, at once. And um, lo and behold, as time goes on, that number gets bigger and bigger, and ends up getting to 20, I saw two numbers, one being 23,000, and the other being 180,000, I'm not really sure what's true, so I'm gonna, we're just gonna find a nice middle range in there, but, um, it sent a bunch of troops to Vietnam, and, um, and the Gulf of Tolkien, Tonkin, <laughs> um, and that's a lot of soldiers, but they're all going into a foreign place. Um, nowhere in America is like Vietnam. And there's just a different, completely, completely different lifestyle and environment. Um, and a lot of the soldiers weren't ready for it. Many diseases came from this war. Um, a lot of guerrilla warfare was fought on the uh, American and on the Allied side as the, uh, the Axis. The axis in uh, North Vietnam, kind of have a more structured, um, the more formal army look, um, as we know, and I think this is interesting because, as North Vietnam comes into South Vietnam and kind of all clumped together, it makes it really easy for uh for these soldiers to get get bunched up and shot and injured all together, um, but that wasn't ended up being the case. Um as the North Korea North Vietnam Vietnamese were uh, clearly overpowering. Um and clear I say clearly, but it did take twenty two years. Um it this was a long and thought out war, many casualties, many deaths, um and th- and that's one reason why the people weren't fond of it. Um but back at home, it caused many polar opposite reactions, and a lot of, uh, a lot of reactions that um, had great feelings with them. Um, a lot of people don't know that the Vietnam War is called, also known as the Second Indochina War. Um, which I thought was interesting, because it's not really in China, um, but Indo, I'm sure, has a different... Different meaning that I just don't know. Um, But JFK kept on sending troops. Um, And when he sent troops, we relied on our air support, our search and destroy, and our artillery. Um, And... Slowly, as time went on, um, we started pulling troops out, and it wasn't good. It wasn't looking good. We had just fought two wars, and money was low, morale was low. Um, a lot of people were getting into arguments and uh, not getting along back at home. Um, and that's just not what you want to see. Um, so, th- like, in all parts of um, the U.S. economy and life wasn't going too well. Although, we ended up pulling our soldiers out, and, um, Vietnam was, or, North Vietnam, um, ends up capturing and, um, taking over South Vietnam, um, specifically Saigon, uh, Laos, the Gulf of Thailand and the South, this South China Sea. Um, but with this, this fall of South Vietnam comes the um, this Socialist Republic of Vietnam, um, the reunification of the Vietnam of the communism Vietnam. Um, and this doesn't last, I mean, this lasts a while until um, South Vietnam and America kind of get back into it. And, um, and just over time, um, with better relations and such, um, it's slowly starting to change. But the Red Scare was at a high at this point then after we took our troops out. We felt like we couldn't keep up with them um in their own land but back at home we felt strong. Um but the Vietnam War it was real bloody. It was it was not a good war. Um obviously no war is a good war. But the amount of money and lives, um on both sides, not just America, is really detrimental. Um and I'm gonna talk about more this more in my next podcast, but the um as america went into this foreign land in north and south vietnam um it was hard to find the simil- the differences excuse me between the two uh people so oftentimes they um they wouldn't really know like who was good and who was bad and it ended up hurting them a lot um as they would get shot and stuff or they would shoot innocent um civilians that were just Uh, part there of war. Um, But I think this is interesting. Because South Vietnam didn't give up. Um, Obviously, they kept on fighting for their land, their family, and everything. Um, And the U.S. is the one that gave up. The U.S., um, Realized that we were losing too many soldiers, and it just wasn't hurt- it wasn't helping us, and we weren't helping them so much um but I think it's interesting how we just kind of gave up and let them take Saigon and um and advance forward um It doesn't seem like the American way to just let your guard down and let your opponents um lose but um, I don't know, the 17th parallel, though was the, um, the divider between North and South Vietnam, and yeah, good afternoon, Mark, this is Ryan, with podcast number five, uh, still on the Vietnam War, um, so, the Vietnam War, my last podcast, uh, Looks like a mid mistake because there were 9 million people served in the military. Um, only 3 million of them saw action, so my number was slightly off. Um, but there were 6 million people that fought in World War II, and only 3 million that saw action in the Vietnam War, um, and I think that's a test to, um, to show how quickly we um, kind of retreated ...with such smaller numbers. Um... So, kind of American life, um... ...while this is going on... ...a lot of people are scared. A lot of people don't want to get drafted. There's a draft going on... um, ...for this war, and a lot of men... ...young adults don't want to get drafted. Um, And a lot of them decide to go to school then... ...to uh, continue their education... Um, because those who went to school did not have to fight. Um, And those who did not fight or go to school, um, a lot actually moved to Canada, um, where they were out of the country and wouldn't have to, uh, which I think is really interesting, um, because the only time I've heard people considering going to Canada um, was actually when Trump got, before Trump got, um, voted into office. he I had people my age on social media saying how they were going to move to Canada uh, as soon as that happened. And obviously, those people never did. But, um, yeah. So that was uh, just the scare in, um, in going to war and not wanting to serve. Like I said before, this was a very controversial war. Um, and so a lot of people did... Everything in their power to get out of the war. Um, so in 1970, 25% of um, people that lived in the United States were on farms. Um, and I think this is a very underwhelming statement for the justice that it does. Um, because not only are these just people on farms, but they are women on farms that now have to step up as the men got drafted. And with that comes a whole new life for them. Um, this is kind of like their start to their long process of equality. Um, and having women work, um, they show that they are capable and have every... Um, attribute that men could have um, showing that they can work and they are willing to work uh, which makes it interesting when men do get back uh, as women are then oppressed again and, um, and upset by that, as they should be as they are the ones that keep the money circulating back at home and keeping everyone fed um, farming is such a big part of the US culture at this time as Um, It keeps the money circulating It keeps goods um, To be bought And things to use But the real reason That That woman would be so upset Is that they do all this And they keep everything going And then they get back And then these men get back And they just shit on the woman And say you're not good enough Um, I was out serving you know, doing the manly thing as you were here working. But these women can work, and they should be working, um, especially when these men get home from war, and they're very distraught. Um, A lot of PSD, a lot of undiagnosed PSD, um, such a terrifying and traumatizing war um, if one actually saw action. Um, and even if not, just basic training, um, my grandpa actually did some basic training for this. Never saw action or anything, um, but he, he tells me some stories, and, um, even the basic training makes you a man, uh, without stepping into the actual battle, um, I know you might think differently, um, one that has been in, um, the service, uh, but me as a 21-year-old who, um, who, knock on wood, will never be fighting um, because I am a wimp. But I, it's courageous. Um, these people stepped up. Everyone stepped up. The men stepped up to go into the army. The women stepped up to work. The children stepped up to work. Um, it really takes an army, and obviously it takes an army. To, <laughs> it really takes everyone to, um, to buy into war, um, But this came at a time where um, people expressed themselves. Um, There were many protests over um, this war. For instance, I can just think of my favorite movie, um, Across the Universe. It does a great job of uh, showing what happens in the 70s and just the 1900s um, kind of Spaced in together, but it shows protests and riots and um stuff that goes on and the hatred that is just portrayed in um in these movies and these scenes um about how much people didn't like the war and it really should um but one of these situations is actually um the um, the Kent State. Um, the, it's a college in Ohio, um, and there was a protest. Now, apparently, I've looked up a little research because I was curious, um, but there is, like, a few little instances that happened earlier in the week that, like, caused the National Guard to be there um, already, and it just kind of reached a certain point. There are a lot of people. Um, I'm not saying that shots should have been fired by any means, um, shots probably shouldn't have been fired, but shots um, definitely shouldn't have been fired. These were college students that were unarmed and har- not harmful in the slightest um, as the National Guard um, took fire and took resistance to himself um, and his surroundings and he ended up killing four college students um, which is pretty remarkable at this time in 19-whatever, um, and we still have police having similar situations in uh, 2018. Pretty remarkable, pretty crappy, um, remarkable in a bad way. Um, shows just how, how much we can change, but how much we can stay the same uh, in such a long time period. But the National Guard, he shot and killed or shot and killed four people, and he injured many more, um, but what this does is it only shows how much, how much that a platform can give you, um, and I think this is the real start to, um, to that, and I think it's a real start to, like, advertisements and, um, and ways to sway your opinion in media, um, and that's it, it kind of what this did. It's kind of what it started. It's sort of the movement, um, and there were many protests, many riots. There was actually one not far away from the uh, from the Pentagon, um, and that's just it's crazy to me. Um, but I think what really blows my mind. Is how um, how fast everything can happen as um, one day soldiers are drafted and when that happens women immediately have to go work um, and 20 years down the line as this war progresses women are still working so 20 years of work and um, getting used to something and getting comfortable and um And just figuring out what's the best strategy and and such. And then one day these soldiers come home and want to act like everything is going back to normal uh, where women get oppressed again and don't do much. And that's just wrong. I mean, it's wrong. And as one who wasn't a part of this, I can't imagine being unappreciative um, towards either sides when, when linking back up with a loved one. Um, and this was also one of the first times where people got to link up with their loved one. Um, my grandpa was telling me he didn't see any service, but even in the basic training, he was gone for um, a few years and his wife, you know, he'd write her letters every day, but they obviously wanted to see each other, so then that moment when they do see each other, after 20-something years, um, you know, they're gonna want to make a baby. And babies are born, and babies are made, um, and this kind of happens after every war. It's kind of a a routine and a pattern that, um, I don't want to say baby boomers, but, um, the babies boom, um, after wars and after people get back and, um, connected with their loved ones again. Um, and that's how, like, my parents were born. Like, <laughs> um, pretty weird and kind of gross, but he got back from um, doing his time and, and then started the family immediately after. It's, um, it's, just, it's remarkable. And these women went back to just getting oppressed over and over again for years and years and are just now starting to see the, uh, the true light of equality. Who is Roger Stone? What's he up to? What is he? He's a politician. He is a Republican. He is a libertarian. Um... He went to George Washington University. He was born in 1952. He's 66 years old. Old white dude. You know, Republican. Clearly, he's a racist. No, just kidding. Um, that's not what that means. But he, the presidents he has worked along with are Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, and Donald Trump. Three I- unique individuals. Um, kind of an interesting group. So... You got Nixon, and we'll put Trump in the same category. Maybe Trump closer to the middle, more than Nixon. Um, but Ronald Reagan's just a, like one of the best presidents, if not the best that we've ever had. Um, and so it's an interesting platform for those, uh, for those three presidents that he has worked with. But, um, so Roger Stone, he's married... Um, he 's got one kid, um, and he 's like an everyday guy, just a politician, kind of known as a trickster. Um, he also is a lobbyist and has been working for years um, But a lobbyist is like just kind of someone who like persuades and influences um policies and such. Um, But what's interesting about Roger Stone is actually he interviewed um, a a Netflix um, film titled Get Me Roger Stone, and it focuses on his past, um, and more so, more specifically, the 2016 presidential campaign and election with uh, Donald Trump so um in like nineteen ninety eight uh Stone and Trump were interviewing and talking, and then uh, stone brought up um the presidency and what if you uh what if you ran and trump you know he was a big, wealthy guy at the time he was at the top of his game he uh he was buying and investing into places um and so, you know, he was, I don't want to say arrogant, but he was a, a bit cocky. Um, kind of went along with it for a minute. And um, nowadays, it's true. So, but it's interesting. That was in 1998. It's 2018 now. So um, Trump at the time, he was, a, he was one of the most rich people in America, um, building and creating, like, gold buildings and just absolutely gorgeous structures, um, but Stone uh, left the Trump campaign in 2015 um, and has been a part of an ongoing investigation um, into the Russian interference which is interesting because like, that was right as um, his election Trump's election happened and uh, as it's said multiple times he's like a, kind of a dirty politician uh, a trickster if you will And likes to get his way. Um, So one might think, is he dirty? Is he telling the truth? Or is he lying? Um, And we just don't know yet. Um, But he he grew up in uh, Connecticut. He... Um, he was all for Nixon. Did not like uh, JFK. But then uh, Ronald Reagan, he backed. And he worked with Reagan's campaign. Um, And he was a young adult, only 24 at the time. Um, And he He managed to get around eight hundred to a thousand people to um to really buy into Reagan and his policies um which I think the majority of the country wanted as Reagan is such a a high claimed president um in history um Reagan wanted to become an actor, which most presidents don't normally do The biggest name I can think of that's an actor would be. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and he was just like a a governor or mayor Um, so pretty cool